From Washington, this is the Macrocast, a podcast brought to you by Penta and Markets Policy Partners. Good morning. You're listening to the Macrocast. I'm Jonathan Graffio, Managing Director with Penta, joined as always by John Fagan and Brendan Walsh from Markets Policy Partners. This week, we're also joined by Brian Asene, founder of SW4 Insights. Guys, lots of lots of data coming out this week, lots of big decisions. Uh, the Fed, of course, raising raising rates again, albeit at a slower pace with being coordinated moves across Europe and also some some important retail and inflation data coming out. The lot swirling around. John, you want to pick us off and help folks make sense of all this? Yeah, thank you, it's, uh, Jonathan. It's it's a, a very consequential week. We're all tired going into year end, but uh, no rest for the weary. And uh, we had gotten a pretty positive uh, kind of vibe in the last week when we saw U.S. inflation numbers, particularly the uh, the consumer price index, coming in a little bit lighter than expected, and some other indications showing real progress. This is on the back of uh, the the Fed beginning to add some nuance to its extremely hawkish uh, policy stance that had prevailed through so much of the uh, of the spring, summer, and early fall. Uh, and uh, and this was this was all kind of leading us into a downshift, which we were all expecting. It was it was uh, from seventy five basis point increments of tightening, which they did four successive meetings. Uh, this was a a downshift, a step down, a you know whatever you want to call it. The Fed is at pains, however, to explain that this is not a pivot. That they've still got a lot more to do, and uh, and this came through in uh, Fed Chair Powell. Once again, he sort of seems to fluctuate, you know, one particular meeting or or uh, or set of remarks. He's a little bit more balanced, and in the other, he uh, and and in this uh, last one, he he trended uh, more on the hawkish side, and uh, and I think you know this was backed up by the projection of uh, a forecast, the so-called dot plot, where the committee members uh, basically upped their try to convey the message that rates are going higher. They're going to be, you know, 5.25, five and a half, five, even, even higher than that, maybe even 6%. And they're going to stay that way all through 2023. Yeah. And, and even uh, beyond the dot plot, they raised their inflation tar- uh, 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 projections for the year, but it's completely utterly illogical. So they went from core PCE ending the year 2022 from 4.5 to 4.8. That would mean that the December core PCE re- reading would have to be a 0.7. We've never had a 0.7. The, the, the November one is going to be 0.1. They're just making up stuff to, to, to talk the market down. <laughs> Well, well, also, well, also to be to be clear, I mean, this is not a collective forecast, right? It's like an amalgamation of everyone's individual, yeah. you know, belief about which way things are going. So I think, I honestly, I, I personally believe they need to stop with the dot plot and the projections because they because every time power goes up, they keep saying, "Well, yes, remember, this is all just like a a collection of like every individual." <laughs> yeah. so like, why why give it why give it to us? Like, what's the point? You keep telling us to ignore it, but you keep releasing it. Right. Well, I think that, you don't see here, move along, but then you keep giving it to us. 
Yeah, I, I, well, that's exactly what the treasury market, what you just characterized as sort of laughing it off and blowing yeah. it off is exactly what the treasury market did. The equity market did not. The equity market- yeah, It the equity market a few days to, <laughs> to realize what's going on, but the treasury market immediately just laughed in their face. Yeah, the treasury market, but still, if you look at the, the tre- treasuries barely moved uh, and not, not in a significant way, and uh, certainly relative to the moves that we saw in equities and the dollar, uh, and the treasury markets are, you know, as everyone sort of understands, Stands or the smart market. Uh, they're the ones that uh, this is this is the market to really pay attention to. And uh, yeah, the, the there was there was there was some impact. But if you look at the Fed fund futures, the expectation, the you know, it's still very much the the concept is maybe 25 basis points at the next meeting in early February and maybe another 25 after that. And then that's that's call it quits. It's like barely five well, percent. And then it's time to start cutting and then it's yeah and then it's and then pr- cuts are priced in at the end of next year on the idea that we are going into a and the fed is tightening into a global recession <laughs> and uh and that Which really all the data shows i mean we got pretty terrible uh global pmi readings overnight yeah i saw i saw one quote that said that markets weren't uh quote didn't seem to be internalizing the nuances of Powell's comments, like, eh, is that is that what that is? Well, Brian, I, I think I think they're targeting the S and P. I think they they want they want stocks to go down, and that's what all the communication they, they wanted to be able to slow the pace of of tight, uh, tightening, but not have equities go up. So all of the the projections and the communication was meant to drive stocks down. Uh, what do you think about that? Well, no, I, I agree. I think they, I, it seems very weird. I feel like after every data point that seems somewhat okay, the market yeah. they think, oh, it means the Fed's going to slow down their pace of tightening. And then Powell has to come out and reinforce that. No, 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 no. We're doing this for a while. We're going to be high for a while. Like, don't don't take this as like, oh, we're going to cut soon. But I've, I've always viewed equity markets as like the dogs of, of the financial world. It's like, squirrel. You know, like this the smallest thing they react to. Right. And, it, and it makes no sense why. Because again, to your point, John, the treasury market, the, the, the smart kids in the room are like, no. Like, like they say what they say and they mean what they say. But then I wonder though, do you, how much of this is tied to like the machines now running things and the machine, <laughs> the, the machine can't process like nuance. And so it sees a data point and it's yeah. programmed to trade on a data point. So it's just like, like how much of it is machine driven versus people driven? I think that's a lot. So I don't really pay attention to the market reaction until like three, four days after the big event, you know, you know, and, and the equity market, you know, we've seen this, we've seen this movie before. If you, if you're, you know, if you're looking at the chart of the S and P 500, the top part of the, the, basically the top of the downside channel and the 200 day moving average, I know technical, you know, chart analysis for everyone is very boring. (laughs) But, you know, that's what a lot of the algos and, you know, a lot of the uh, the traders sort of key off of. And again, the S&P 500 slammed its head up against the top of the downside channel and yeah. the 200 day moving average. It's having a very hard time punching out of that. These are the kinds of points, you know, we're going into big options uh, expiry today. These are the kinds of sort of technical and you know, and very much algo driven trading patterns that you've seen take over. And so there is kind of a, you know, uh, a sense that maybe the equity market isn't, isn't the, the reaction really isn't 
as much as it sort of seems on its face uh, to to hawkish Fed and and has a lot more to do with just sort of trading dynamics. Well, and I also I also feel um, to go to Brendan's question, I do feel like the, this is not your grandfather's equity market anymore, right? There are a lot more yeah. players who might not necessarily be the most you know financially or finance savvy people who are pushing the buy or sell or whatever, and are not as like well versed in like passing Fed Fed communications. And I think there's a lot of misreading that happens as a result of that. Yeah. And and part of the reason that I think that they're trying to drive down the stock market is to to, to regain their credibility and, and break the market from the Fed push. They, you know, basically from the green fence kind of started, but especially accelerated after the global financial crisis when we when we started QE that, you know, anytime stocks went down, the Fed was there to, to either cut rates or, or increase the, the um, you know, bond buying. And and I, on that, I agree. I, I think that going forward, we have a, a new dynamic in, in the markets where everything just doesn't go up. And we're seeing that now. We're, we're, we're seeing a disconnect between the Treasury market and the and the equity market, where for, what, 15, 20 years, you know, really, they've, they've been connected. Actually, it really since the, the, the since the early 80s, they've been connected. Right, John? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I think the. <laughs> I mean, it's it. it I want to I want to make sure that we're not dumping too much at the uh, you know at the <laughs> at the feet of the Fed because you know when we look at the market reaction, honestly, like the worst reaction that we got was for, to the ECB to the European Central Bank. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and you know the as sort of hawkish as the Fed you know tried to the atmospherics the hawkish atmospherics. Uh, the impact on the bond market, you know, which is really the bedrock kind of uh, place that that it would impact, didn't really it didn't really move the needle. The European Central Bank, however, really did move the needle, and they are in a stagflationary disaster. And the European Central Bank is uh, is is in the process of <laughs> of uh, they've got a really tough job. So uh, that that's that's a challenge. They downshifted as well, but they sort of mirrored the Fed's. Uh, very aggressive uh, rhetoric, and boy, there was a a major impact in the bond market because they also uh, flagged that they would be uh, they'd be rolling back their asset purchase program, and uh, that would start. They they had kicked that can down the road to everybody's great relief at the prior meeting, but then announced that it would uh, it would begin uh, with a reduction in March. And uh, what do you know? The Italian bond market uh, uh, cratered. <laughs> Yeah. And I, I think this 30 is 30 so basis points in the 10 year. I mean, yeah. it's a horror show. And uh, if so, QE in America is so different than QE in Europe, where yeah. you know, when we go into risk off, actually, everyone buys our bonds and, and the yields go down. When something bad happens in one of the 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 less um, strong uh, countries in Europe, their bond yields go up a lot. So their QE actually has a, a massive effect in, in terms of where the the yields go um brian did you think they can they can handle you know like italy and greece and spain uh, spain seems to be doing all right but especially italy um can the can the can the ecb really back away from from purchasing these bonds uh no no i don't i don't i mean i think i think the, the problem that the ecb has and to a lesser extent other central banks do is is the political aspect of it right is that they technically they're independent they're meant to be fighting inflation, bringing inflation down. But the problem is, is that the markets still view 
these in these countries as individual countries. Yeah. They don't view them as part of the Euro area or the European Union. So they don't, they don't think, oh, it's one common, you know, thing. You're all backed by the same. Like, no. They view Italy as Italy, Greece as Greece. And so it's, it's you know, you have a hard time convincing someone, oh, no, our bonds are fine. They're like, no, no, no. I, I would charge you more to buy your stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so I think the political pressure is not there right now, probably because the, the hawks are finally getting their way and who are among the hawks, Germany, Netherlands, et cetera. And so I think that might give the ECB some air cover, but I think eventually they might have to, for political reasons, adjust their, their approach a little bit. Yeah, over-tightening by the Fed, you know, over-tightening by the Fed takes, takes you into a deeper recession. Over-tightening by the ECB turns on the doomsday machine of uh, bonds selling off and yep. crushing local banks which makes bonds sell off more, which yeah. crushes local banks, yeah. and Italy slides into an abyss of a uh, of a sovereign debt and banking crisis nightmare, which we have seen before, <laughs> and, and without support by the ECB, it's going to happen again. Yeah. And uh, and so watch watch this space. It's it's not a pretty picture, and the ECB I think needs to risk manage their uh, their their messaging and their policy mix uh, with a lot more. <laughs> with a, with a, a lot more caution. No, and actually, about your question, Brendan, it's like, can they both raise rates to bring inflation down yeah. and also have a rescue program or some sort of support program buying, you know, low-rated bonds? Like, I, I, I don't know how you pull up both at the same time. Yeah, but they might have to. Because when we do QE, it, the whole point is to buy treasuries so that other investors invest in riskier things. That's like yeah. the whole point of it. In in Europe, it's to make sure that the the, the Italian yields don't go to twenty percent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, essentially, it, it's incoherent from a monetary policy perspective. It's like driving with your foot on the brake and on the gas. <laughs> um, but that's exactly what the ECB is going to have to do. And uh, and the you know the faster they acknowledge that, you know, <laughs> the, the the ECB is you know they learned they've learned a lot of lessons. Uh, over the past decade plus um, in crisis fighting management, we've already seen, you know, acknowledgement of reality that they can only go so far on this front. But it's, you know, it's it's a very fine line that they're that they're going to have to walk. Guys, thanks again for for joining us as always. Thanks for listening to the Macrocast. I'm Jonathan Graffio with Penta. Thanks to John, Brandon, and Bry for joining us. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Macrocast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and share. 